right, yes, give them a hand. That was great. We're good, we're on? Okay. Man, that was an incredible introduction. Our first time at Hume. Yeah, that's right. We had some other rookies in the room. We're our rookies that have never been to Hume before. We've been, we've been hearing about this place since we were in college. We had friends of ours that would go out to this other country called California. We were in Virginia at the time in college, and they would come back wearing all this cool swag and T-shirts and all this stuff that I'm sure they were giving away. I don't know if you gave away massages back then or not, but definitely gave away T-shirts, and we were wondering, I, I wish we could get out to that place. It only took us 30 years, and we, and we made it. I feel like that's check off the bucket list. Yes, so. Yeah, and we're living in Florida now, and so we're coming up that road. Anybody that was their first time on that road just to get here, and you were like, Lord, just protect us. We, we, pr we pray for a, not just a hedge of protection. How about a guardrail? Like, could we buy a guardrail, California? Can we get, are you just against them by principle? The highest elevation point in Florida is the, is the causeway going over, over to the beach, okay? So it's a bridge, really, is the highest elevation in Florida. So we're a little bit nervous coming up there to get here. We're just glad we made it. Yeah, it, was, it was fantastic to, to get here. So welcome to, to the Marooned Marriage Conference. If you feel like <laughs> you're stuck with your spouse and you just can't get out, you're in the right place. We're going to talk about how you can extricate yourself. Actually, what we're going to do tomorrow during activity, we're going to put you all out on, in a canoe with no paddles. And we're going we're gonna to tell you, you got to work out your stuff until you get back, all right? Marooned. Anyway, what are we you talking just, about tonight? <laughs> I did. You're making me laugh. Um, so we know that in this room like this, there's a spectrum of folks. Everybody that's coming just to really be refreshed. And you guys have been coming for years. And this is the kind of jump starts, gets you guys back on track. And we're glad you're here. But we also know there's some that could be here in a really rough spot that you actually really do feel are like, man, marooned. That's kind of what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling that way with my spouse. We understand. We know. And we know there's a lot that are in here that are all in different circumstances, too. So, yeah. So we are uh, just thrilled to have you and thrilled to be a part of this weekend. Um, we know that as we walked around today and we saw the beauty of this place, that when you see um, that beauty, the majestic uh, beauty that God has created, that it is a place where we can pause and we're, where we can be refreshed in our marriage. And as we met some of you uh, in the dining hall and walking around the property, uh, it's been fun to just kind of start getting familiar with each other. And I was so excited that you guys won. We saw them uh, swimming today or fishing. And swimming. And swimming along the paddleboard. And I'm like, they won. I'm so excited. I feel like I know them and I'm so happy. Is your mic not on? Here we go. Okay, I was feeling like I'm yeah. yelling. Okay. There we go. That's better. Sorry. Okay. I know. I felt like I was back at home. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll hear that later. I'll I also later. felt like no one was listening to me, <laughs> and I felt like I was back at home. That's good. Got you. That's good. It's good. <laughs> I can do it right back. You can. Okay. Okay. So, but what we love is we notice you. We can see who you are. We can kind of tell a little bit about you, even kind of how you're sitting. We can tell that um, if you are here and maybe you're newlyweds or you've been married just for a couple years and we're looking out and we're seeing like you're sitting so close to each other and almost like sitting in the same seat. We are sitting in pews, but you know, you're kind of sitting so close to each other and maybe you're like, 
touching and you're holding hands. It's a little and, distracting from this point of view. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm -hmm. you're, it's just, you know, we can tell. You're, yep. You've been married for just a couple of years. But it's sweet. We love that. Keep on with it. It's great. We can also <laughs> tell those of you who came and you left little ones at home. Maybe you left toddlers at home or uh, small children, mothers of preschoolers. Anyone like that in the room? Yeah. We have a couple? Yeah. And you're just at that dining, the cafeteria, you're just like so thankful that you don't have to cut anyone's meat. You don't have to worry about uh, bibs or high chairs. I mean, maybe you're like, honey, can I cut your meat for you? Uh, just, and you're like, oh, wait, wait, no, I don't have to do that. Uh, we can tell you're out there, too. And you're just glad, like, yeah, exactly. You're retreating. You're having the room. There will be no children in that room tonight. And you're like, that is going to be nice. Uh, maybe, hopefully, a full night of sleep. That's right. Yeah. Possibility. We hope so. We hope it happens. Maybe, hopefully, you don't have somebody that snores next to you. <laughs> Sorry, Jen. So... <laughs> Some of you are sitting close together, not because you necessarily want to. You've just been married for like 10 years, and you just have spread out over 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Just spread out just a little bit. And I can see a lot of you guys. A lot of you guys are just sitting here like this, you know? You're looking at me, and you've got kind of a nice shelf here that has developed over the years. You can put coffee cups there and whatever you need. And you're looking back at us, and you're like, go ahead. Teach me what you got. There's some of you are here and then you're just you're just excited. You're empty nesters. We have any empty nesters that are in the in the room right now? I mean, yep. You don't even clap right now. And you looked at the schedule and we're like, "Man, we're eating so late. Like 6 p.m. Why don't they start meals at 4:30? Like they are going to end at 9, aren't they? Is that when is that when they're going to end? You know, we got to get to bed, you know, to wake up early for that early coffee. So, we we see you. We're glad that you're here. Yeah, so we all made it. Let's all take a deep breath. Collectively, yes. And this weekend, we have entitled this Marriage Refresh. And that's what we want to do. It's about feeling refreshed in our marriage. We want tonight to feel like a little energy shot for our marriage. Because this is our most important human relationship. And I know it's easy to come to these kind of things. And you've, you're at a marriage event. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I can't wait. I can't wait for my spouse to hear what they're going to say. <laughs> I, I hope they take notes. Uh, I know that they need improvement in these three areas. These are my top three areas that he needs improvement. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that male speaker, I hope the husband speaker is so good this weekend because my husband needs this so badly or my wife needs this so badly. And sometimes we can get into that. We're, we're all in our own heads and we're all thinking, what does the other person need to learn? And what we want to do right now is we just set the stage is we do want to take just if you can imagine you're not sitting in individual chairs, but if you would just look down and you would draw a circle around yourself. And what we want to do is go into the mindset of God, what this weekend do you want to teach me? What do you want to teach me? Because we can all learn. No matter if your spouse is the major problem in your marriage. You why are you pointing can, at me? I'm sorry. <laughs> you are not. You're just like, why is this person? Anyway. No. We, can all, we can all still learn. And we can all still grow. And that's what we want to do is take our eyes off of our spouse, turn our eyes on ourselves, but then quickly up to God. Because God is going to be guiding us as well this weekend. Yeah. People have been asking for years, like, what is the secret? What's the secret to success 
in marriage? A great question that you should ask each other at dinner, dinner table. Like if you're with somebody that's been married for more than 10 years, just ask them, what's been some of the secrets that have helped you stay together, that have helped you stick and persevere through the good times and through the bad times? Just a great question. You never know what you're going to get. There's a couple that have been married for 37 years. They were at a conference like this, and they were asking them, hey, what's been the secret to saying, you guys have been married, you seem happy. Like what's been that secret to staying together for so many years? And the wife just perked up real quick. She said, it's real easy. We're both in love with the same man. Some of you are like, no way, that's not, you'll get it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a latent joke. You'll get it a little bit later. She's just accepting the fact that everybody's selfish in marriage, right? That's what she's, that's what she's saying. And so what's the secret? It's a great question. It's a great question to ask. If you, I don't know if you've ever heard the name Simon Sinek. Uh, but he is a business guru. He, he's, he really helps coach a lot of entrepreneurs. And he talks about how with most companies, most companies don't understand the, the why behind their company. Uh, most companies understand the what and the how. They know what they do. They know how they do it. But they don't know why they actually do what they do. And most employees can't even answer that question. And I think that applies to marriage. Most of us don't know why that we're married. Um, uh, when, when, you talk, when you talk about to Simon Sinek, he talks about this golden circle, and he talks about these three levels of why, how, and what. And, and he talks about any company, you can apply this to any company. Like, let's just take a company that does navigation systems. You've got Apple Maps, you've got Google Maps, you've got uh, Waze. Have you got any Wazers that are in here? Anybody like to use? I would imagine in California you're using Waze all the time. They, they're all the same company. They're all navigation apps that you have on your phone, and they're helping you get from point A to point B. Uh, that's how they do it, you know. Um, we ask the question, why, why use Apple Maps? Why do Apple Maps exist? And Apple Maps, I think Apple would say, because we're Apple, and you should do what we tell you to do. This is our map. You should do it. We've created everything that you use. You should just trust us. Google Maps, on the other hand, would be like, well, if anybody wants to not get where they're going, that's why we exist. <laughs> is Google Maps. But Wazers, if you go to their company, it's really interesting. If you talk to any of the employee and you ask them, why does your company exist? They would say, we are trying to save every driver at least three minutes of tra of, uh, in traffic a day. At, at, at any moment, we're trying to save every driver at least three minutes. If we can get more, that's great. But our goal is three minutes because we know this. Everybody's in traffic. People hate traffic. And if we can save them a little bit of time, then we have given value to our customer. That's why they exist is to save, that's why they create their algorithms, all that. They know why they exist. Do you know why your marriage exists? You know why you got married? Jen, if I were to ask you on our wedding day, if somebody were to ask you on our wedding day, why did you want to marry Brian, what would you have said? Okay, I would have said this. Uh, I've thought about this. Uh, I would have said, because it's thinking along, we've been married for 27 years, uh, so I have to think, think back. Um, I would have said, I loved your humor. You're very funny. Uh, I would have said, I saw a lot of, I started seeing a lot of leadership in you that I really appreciated and mm -hmm. thought was admirable. And then third, I would say, I thought you had a lot of potential. Like, I didn't know if you're going to be a good husband, <laughs> but I thought you had the potential to be a good husband. The hope. And yeah. I didn't know, I, I didn't know if you were going to be a good dad, but I thought if we would ever have children together, I thought you'd be a great dad. So I saw this potential in you. And mm -hmm. those are the things that, that why I wanted to get married yeah. to you. 
I think if somebody were to ask me, Brian, why are you marrying Jen? I would have said, I love her sense of adventure. She's been a missionary in Thailand for a couple years, and uh, she just, I always just admired that about her. She laughed at my jokes. That was another reason why I liked her. And on that day, I really wanted to get her out of that dress. I'm, I mean, that, that would have been my reason on my wedding day, just being honest about my reason. That would have been my why. Um, that would have been my why. Well, those are some good things, right? Those are some admirable things and th th some things that we can look up to, but they don't really a answer totally the why of marriage. And sometimes the why of, our, of, of marriage can fuel us. It can get us through the hard times. If we know why we're in this, when the hard times come, when the disagreements comes, when the highs and lows, the seasons of life come, if we know our why, we can keep moving forward. So most people, when you ask them the why of their marriage, they might say something, especially at the beginning for the newlyweds or the people who've been married a couple, a couple years uh, in this audience. It's like the why is kind of this romance, this attraction. And uh, hopefully all of us started off with that. Uh, we started off with this uh, incredible attraction to each other, and we, were, we were, had this romance with each other. But as we know, after a couple years, that romance can, can fade, and we settle into real life. So that's not a good enough why. Then we usually, after the romance, we move into the other, the first R is romance. The second one is raising kids. Maybe by then you've had a couple kids, and you're like, well... We have these children. We should probably stay in this together for the kids. And that becomes our why. But then the kids, hopefully, are going to grow up and move out of the home, head off into their own uh, lives and their own families, and then you're just left with each other. And then the third R is, like, retirement. Like, well, let's just stick with it. You know, we've got, we've we've got retirement. Far. We've come this far. What else are we going to do? But all of those whys can end up feeling very like a very empty and lonely place to be if we don't have a better why. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what we want to do tonight. We want to talk about what does it look like to refresh our why? What does it look like to go back to the book of beginnings and understand what is the purpose why God brought us together? Most people don't ever ask that question. We ask each other that question, but why did God bring us together in the first place. And that's what we're going to start off with this week. We're going to look uh, tonight, we're going to look back in Genesis uh, at the first couple. The first thing we see um, about the first couple, and I think this is true of any healthy couple, and we're talking about three things tonight um, of what I think healthy couples model when they understand and they get their why. And the first one is this, healthy couples see God's hand in their story. Healthy couples see God's hand in their story. It's hard to miss God's hand in the story of Adam and Eve. He's all over it, right? I mean, you open up the book of, of uh, Genesis, you're starting to look in the first two chapters, the first couple pages. You can't miss how God had a significant hand in bringing uh, Adam and Eve together. Uh, you, look, you think about the creation story, and when you're looking in Genesis 1 and you're seeing how he is going through and he's creating everything, he's creating the, the light, he's creating the sun, he's creating the moon, he's creating the planets, he's creating uh, the land and the sea, and he's calling it good. Everything is good. He's creating vegetation, he's creating animals. Everything is good. He creates man... And you get to Genesis 2.18, and after he created man and he formed him with his hands out of the dust of the ground, he formed man, and he said, it is what? It is, no, well, he said it's very good. It's kind of a, in chapter 1, is what foreshadowing, but when he was just getting back in Genesis 2 and talking about the actual creation of humanity, he started with Adam, right? And when he started with Adam, when you look in Genesis 2.18, uh, it says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. The first time he says not good, 
He creates Adam. He's like, man, something's missing. Something's missing. He could have just told Adam that. He could have said, hey, buddy, you feeling lonely? Let's go talk about this. Instead, he says, I'm going to help Adam actually see his need. I'm going I'm to let him have a job to name all these animals that I've created. And he's going to notice something about these animals. And so Adam, like any good guy, is going to start off, and he's going to start off strong. He's going to start off feeling good. He's going to get his triple shot extra hot caramel macchiato from the Hume Coffee Store. He's going to be ready to go. And he's going to start off great in the morning. He's going to get awesome names like Crocodile, a great name. You know, Tyrannosaurus Rex, Brontosaurus, all these names that we just danced to. He's a, you want a spiritual name? Praying Mantis. I got that covered. I'm all over that. But end of the afternoon, he's exhausted. He's looking out. He's like, dog, frog, cat, rat, bat, gnat. And what he's noticing with all these animals is that as they're coming to him two by two, there's nothing that quite is attractive to him. Doesn't matter what lipstick you put on that pig, it's not going to look good <laughs> to Adam. And so, in that moment, the Lord puts him to sleep and says, "Okay, now that you're getting the picture that there's not anything there for you, I'm going to I'm going to do something for you." So he puts um, Adam to sleep, and and here's what it says in Genesis 2:22. It says, "Then the Lord made a woman from the rib that He had taken out of the man, and He brought her to the man." And Adam looked, took one look at her and said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called. He's excited. In the Hebrew, he's like, let's go. That's what it means right there. I am pumped about this. Now, what did he know about Eve outside of the fact of what she looked like? And for most guys, that's all that we need, okay? But he really didn't know anything about her. He hadn't had a chance to look on Match.com and find out what her profile is. All he knows is the giver. All he knows is that this person that had brought Eve to him could be trusted. He didn't know much else. And he said, because I trust the giver, I'm going to appreciate the gift. And I'm going to accept and receive her as my gift. Do you remember where you were when you first thought about the person sitting next to you, hopefully your spouse, and said, I want to be with this person for the rest of my life? Do you remember where you were? Remember that moment that you had this urge to merge? <laughs> and it, it wasn't just about going out for coffee anymore. It was like, no, we want to be together. I was at Liberty University, and I, was, I saw we had been in the same friend group but never dated together for four years at Liberty University. And I was wandering through this hall that I never run through, and I saw Jen, and just she was sitting in this, in this seat. And for some reason, it was like a halo, and light poured through. And I saw her in a light that I'd never seen before. And I was like, why hadn't I thought of her all these four years? I was like, oh. And in that moment, I felt like the Lord brought her to me. Now, she didn't realize that. It took a long time of convincing, <laughs> about a year before she finally came around. But, you know, I think a lot of times we have this illusion of choice in our culture. You know, for most of human history, marriages were arranged. And they actually worked. Because there was this belief that a divine power was working through the parents to bring these two people together. We've lost a lot of that idea. And there's a lot of us that because we feel like we chose our spouse, when they start doing things that we don't like or they don't start living up to our expectations, it's easy for us to think, Maybe I chose wrong. But here's what healthy couples get in that moment. 
they start realizing, you know, how many choices had to be made that were totally outside of my control that brought me to that moment in history when I saw that person in a totally different light? I didn't choose the year that I was born. I didn't choose the parents that I was born to. I didn't choose the multiple states that I moved around to from place to place. Yeah, I chose my college, but I had no idea that this woman would be coming and meeting me there in that same year and that there would be a set of circumstances that were beyond my control that brought us together. C.S. Lewis, it might be in that book that you gave away. <laughs> no, it's actually in The Four Loves. He talks about friendship, but I think it applies to marriage. It says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choices of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there is strictly speaking no chances. A secret master of, master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Healthy couples recognize there is a divine power, even when you're at a hard place, that has brought you together and wants to see you through it. Yeah, so for some of us tonight, that is worthwhile thinking about and focusing on and saying, let's recall how God brought us together. Because when our focus again goes to God and his power and what he's done, and it's good for us to remember those things because it can bring us back and put us in a healthy place again of realizing that God is sovereign and that God has brought us together. But we also know that there could be some people in the room who that could be a little bit of a hurtful statement. And maybe that is because you have experienced some really hard things in your marriage, even some things that might involve abandonment or an affair or abuse. And you're thinking, wait a minute, you're supposed to tell me that God had a hand in this and I've been so hurt by this? And what I would say to you and what we would say to you in a, in a, in a loving and gentle way is that Yes, you can still see that God brings people together, but we all as a, individuals have choices, and we don't always choose the right things. And so we want to encourage you that if you are in a place, um, in that place, we are not saying that God is asking you to just tough it out, that we're sorry that your spouse has made these choices, that God is just, you know, you just have to handle it. This would be a time where God would say, no, we want to hold others accountable. We want you to get help. We want you to be in a safe place. God wants that for you as well. Our good friend, or our friend, uh, Gary Thomas says that the cost of saving a marriage is destroying a man or a woman. The cost is too high. God loves people more than he loves institutions. And so if you are in a situation like that, yes, you can see God's hand in bringing you together, but know that we as humans are fallen and we live in a broken world and bad decisions can be made. And this could be a time where God can use you to either bring your spouse back by holding him or her accountable um, or even, even the possibility of just being separated and allowing some healing to happen. Um, but we want to encourage you in that yeah, way. Yeah. And, and even in those stories, God can do some amazing miracles. And if that's your story, we just heard one at dinner tonight where they, they were on the brink of divorce and God brought them back because they started going back and realizing maybe God brought us together for a purpose and he's gonna see us through this time. And so hold out hope 
and work as hard as you can. But again, as Jen said, there could be some places where the most loving thing you can do is to bring that spouse to accountability um, and to help them see this own sin in their life. Um, so the question that matters most is why. Why does it matter that we believe that God has actually has a hand in our story? Because in any marriage, it doesn't matter how long it's been going, you're going to have moments where you start wondering, did I marry the wrong person? So uh, healthy couples, number two, this is what healthy couples do. They, some, they love someone, their spouse, uh, like God loves us. Now, how many of you have heard someone else say, that, man, if I would have just known how different we were going to be and how frustrating it might be to live with those differences, I don't think I would have signed up for this marriage. You've probably heard someone else say that. Um, and you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe there's been time in your own marriage where you thought, man, we're so different. Uh, we come from different backgrounds. We have all these differences. And you're thinking, maybe I did marry the wrong person. Is that a possibility? Yeah. Um, and when we, you and I got married, we thought we were so similar, and yet it didn't take too long to realize we had been pretty, that we're pretty different. Yeah. And so we want to take a few minutes. It's only going to take about three minutes. It's basically going to be like speed dating the goings. We're going to find everything you can about us in three minutes, all these differences that just came out of right. the blue. Yeah, at the beginning, we thought actually that we were very similar. Mm -hmm. We had so many things in common, and that's what, you know, drew us together at the beginning. We, we both come from uh, strong Christian families. We're so thankful for that. We both are the firstborn. Yep. I mean, how could that be any problem? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah, going to be great. Be um, we both had younger siblings, and it was a sister. Uh, we both went to the same university. I mean, we just had all these similarities, so yeah. what could go wrong? Yeah. So. Some things went wrong, but we'll talk about it at the end. Yep. Okay, so here we go. I grew up in the small town of Kalispell, Montana. And I grew up in the suburban jungle of Alexandria, Virginia. My dad was a general contractor, and he kept the same job for years. My dad was in the Air Force. I was an Air Force brat. We moved around quite a bit before settling down in Alexandria. Um, I am right-handed. And I am left-handed. Speaking of hands... I like to go to a church where you would raise your hands high in worship, and there's a lot of emotion. Too much emotion makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Keep your hands to yourself. During Christmas, we opened our presents on Christmas Eve. We opened our presents on Christmas Day, like normal people. <laughs> I like to stay up late. I like to go to bed early. Uh, the bed has to be made every morning. Who's with me? Anyone? Oh, yeah. I've Aren't we just going to sleep in it a few hours later? Seriously. <laughs> I fold. I wad. Um, I, love, I love playing card games until it's about 9, 9.30, and then it's time to go to bed. We play card games until someone wins. And when I say someone, I mean this guy. My perfect meal. A filet mignon, medium rare with some grilled asparagus, maybe some garlic mashed potatoes. I we're, mean, we're in, we're in California. Could we have a glass of wine with that? I don't know. It's but, not a Baptist camp. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the perfect meal, double-double animal style. Why do you get cheers for that? <laughs> Just everything on it. Grease dripping down to your elbows. Fries. Sorry, not for men and out. Those things taste like cardboard. Give me some real fries. And a chocolate milkshake. Yeah, I see that hand. All right, yes. good. I hate online shopping. I think Amazon is one of God's perfect gifts to mankind. <laughs> Bring on the drones. Um, I love shoot 'em up movies, fantasy, uh, anything that's in the, in the early Marvel. I was there every night. Yeah. 
And I like things that can actually happen in a movie. I do not like sci-fi or anything that can't happen in real life. No, like what? Give me an example. Like Sleepless in Seattle or some of the old good rom-coms or right. things like that. That's your fantasy world. Okay. <laughs> when it comes to intimacy, I like the conditions to be perfect. So the kids need to be in bed sleeping, like really asleep. Um, the, the dishes in the kitchen has to be totally clean. Um, the door has to be locked and then checked to make sure that it's locked. And then the shades have to be drawn and the curtains need to be closed and the conditions need to be perfect. I just want to have sex. <laughs> Anytime, anyplace. All right, let's keep going. I tan. I burn. I take vitamins. I pop Advil. I cook. I eat. I hate being late. I hate people who worry about being late. <laughs> I hate nuts in my brownies. Hey, so do I. We got one right All right, here. we yeah, got yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> can't yeah. even do the high can't five. Even, okay. Can't even do the high five. Yeah, so we laugh at those. Those are all the things we found out. Oh, my goodness, we're so different. And all of the things in our marriage that have caused so many frustrations, fights, disappointments, wondering, you know, some of the deeper questions in life, if we're in there, where we're going to go to church, how we're going to celebrate holidays, and, and how we're going to raise our kids, and some of those things have caused us to say, what, what's happening? What yeah. happened? Yeah. Why, why are we so different? Can we make it through this? Right. And we didn't see all those differences before we got married. We also did not just see differences. We didn't see weaknesses. You know, we didn't see those things in our spouse that we, that we knew would annoy us, or those things where we're like, man, I, I just didn't see that. And the reason why is because before we're dating, these are the glasses that we're wearing, right? When you're dating your spouse, like everything's groovy, man. It's like, are you tired? Because you've been running through my mind all day long, right? You feel that? It's like there's just this. But, but what, we, what we discover, in fact, the neurologists have even confirmed that there are these things called these love drugs that flood our brain, that these endorphins that get released that don't subside when you're in a relationship with somebody for at least 36 months. Isn't it interesting that that's when the first spike in divorces take place is after three years of marriage? Neurologists have confirmed this. And what happens is those love drugs actually dissipate and they get your endorphins back to normal. And about that time, these glasses get removed. And there's another set of glasses that you put on in marriage. And that's these. <laughs> what do these do? Some of you have many, many, many of these, right? You have them all over the place. Because what do these do? These magnify, but they don't magnify strengths. They magnify weaknesses. They magnify sins. And it's like all of a sudden, instead of seeing everything groovy about your spouse when you're dating, you start like, am I seeing this right? Am I seeing you this right? That your idea of managing money is that, um, that you just spend it until it runs out? Oh, well. Oh, I, I, can, I can come back on that one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, do I see this right? Do I see this that every Saturday... When it's time to like do chores around the house, all you want to do is sit and watch football games and eat chips, and that's so annoying. I don't see what's wrong with that. <laughs> you know, am I seeing this right, that your idea of getting comfortable is putting on gray sweats? Seriously, is that what I'm seeing? Yeah. Okay, well, um, am I seeing this right, that that same joke that you've been telling forever, that no one's laughing at it anymore, and you're not so funny anymore? Am I, am I seeing that right? Hmm. So we're going to go to coaching tomorrow. Uh, we'd like to book. We the need a first coaching session so bad. Okay. All right. 
So we see all these things in our spouse, and that's why we have to go back to point one. Did I see God's hand in bringing us together? Maybe God had a much bigger why behind bringing these two very different people together that are weak and that are sinful. See, a lot of us thought the why of getting married is that this person was going to make us happier. And So if I could just find the right person, then they're going to make me happy over a lifetime. And then you get married, and you're like, wait, did I really sign up for this? Is this what I sign up for when I see these things? And I think God would say, absolutely. Because Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another. Now, he doesn't just say love one another. It wouldn't be a new commandment. They've been, they, God talk, told his people, told the Jewish people to love one another. That was something that was within the Torah. Why was it a new commandment? To love one another as what? As I have loved you. That Jesus showed a totally different pattern of love. See, he said it was easy to love somebody that was just like you. It's easy to love somebody that you can get along with. It's easy to love somebody that, that lives up to your expectations. He says the true test of love is actually to love somebody that gets on your nerves. There's somebody that's selfish, somebody that's weak. That's when real love gets put to the test. When Jesus showed us was it's easy to love someone who's just like you and all that. No, he wants you to love somebody who worries about being late who has different ideas of what chores in the house look like, who doesn't want to parent the same way you do, who doesn't have the same zeal for God that you do. It's in that moment that God says the purpose of your marriage is actually for you to be more like me. Because God loves selfish, weak, different people all day long, 24-7, 365. Aren't you glad he does? You know, the word for holy is holy apart it's set apart it means wholly different from us god is totally different from us but that does not limit his love for us and it does not reduce his zeal to pursue us when we are weak and selfish and sinful and so in the same way we're called to love just like jesus loves us so uh, kind of going back to that question if you have asked yourself I've, I asked you if you have ever heard of anyone else asking that, but if you've asked yourself, did I marry the right person, um, you might be encouraged by this quote that we have found and we've read to, we, we speak a lot on marriage and family with family life, so we've, we've read this quote to probably thousands of people mm -hmm. now, and it has made a major impact, um, and so listen, listen to this. Uh, this is what Zig Ziglar has to say. He says, I have no way of knowing whether or not you married the wrong person, but I do know that many people have a lot of wrong ideas about marriage and what it takes to make that marriage happy and successful. I'll be the first to admit that it's possible that you did marry the wrong person. However, however, if you treat the wrong person like the right person, you could well end up having married the right person after all. On the other hand, if you marry the right person and treat that person wrong, you certainly will have ended up marrying the wrong person. I also know that it is far more important to be the right kind of person than it is to marry the right person. In short, whether you married the right or wrong person is primarily up to you. So here's the question that um, as you think about that and as you think about marrying the right kind of person, about being the right kind of person first, ask God's spirit over this weekend, ask God's Holy Spirit who will direct you. If you are a Christ follower, you have that spirit inside of you who can speak to you and guide you. Ask the Holy Spirit, how can I be the right person? 
How can I be the right person uh, and treat my spouse like the right person? Maybe it's laughing off some of the differences, taking, not taking things so seriously, maybe looking, overlooking smaller offenses. Could it be planning an outing or a trip that's going to be all about your, your spouse's likes and enjoyments? Could it be telling your spouse, I see God's hand in our story, and I know he's not done with us yet. That would be a word of encouragement and hope that your spouse might need to hear. Or it could say, it could be as simple, simple as asking your spouse, hey, I want to treat you, Brian, like the right person. What's something that I could change so that I could do that yeah. better? That's a brave question to ask. Listen to your spouse as he or she explains that to you. But if you don't know how to be the right person or treat that person like the right person, just ask and listen and follow through. Yeah. In John 15, where it talks about how Jesus says that we are to die to self, that we are to lay down our life for our friends, and our number one friend is our spouse. The word for life there in the Greek is actually the inner life. It's not just about our, it, a lot of us would say, I would die for my spouse. I don't know that a lot of us would, are willing day to day to die to our preferences, to die to our expectations, to die to our desires, desire to those things that we just want to hold on so tightly. And whatever it is we're holding on to so tightly is probably what's preventing our ability to be one. And God's saying, I'm putting you in a place where every day you have an opportunity to die to self so that you can see what it's like, what my life is like when he loves us. Weak, selfish, and sinful people. All right, our last point here. Not only this, uh, healthy couples, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish this up fairly quickly. Pursue a purpose bigger than themselves. Pursue a purpose bigger than themselves. And... When we think about this, you know, at the wedding day, um, and Jen, put that mic down just to dim we'll demonstrate this. You know, I've officiated a number of weddings, love to do weddings, and it's, it's really interesting as a pastor, as you're doing the wedding, you realize that they're not really listening to you at all because they're just staring so intently into each other's eyes, and they just think their love brought them to this moment, and all they think about, this is what our life is going to look like, is we're just going to be looking at each other, and we're going to be pleasing each other, and what could go wrong? Love is going to see us through, Right. Um, and then you realize, man, may maybe not. If this is all we do in marriage, boy, this is going to limit your love. Because what you're going to do is if my focus in marriage is right here and I'm just looking at Jen for the rest of my life and I'm hoping that she is going to make me happy and hoping that she's going to fulfill my desires and do everything and fulfill my expectations, you're going to realize that you're like two ticks on with no dog. Okay? <laughs> because you're not designed to do that. That's not why we got married. That's not why God brought us together. And there's a, there's a thing that happens in a wedding that I think is super important that most people miss. Mm. Right after the pastor says, I pronounce you Brian and Jen Goins, and I'm gonna now I present to you Brian and Jen Goins, what does that couple do? They turn out. And they walk down the aisle. And I think that's super important, that this is actually the state of a healthy marriage. Mm. is right here. And when you see the first couple in Genesis, in fact, in Genesis 1.27, we see that God, or 1.28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. His intention was for them to move out, to make an impact to their kids, to their grandkids, to their stepkids, to the people that are around them, their neighbors, the community that God has placed you in. Your marriage was not designed for you just to please each other. 
The whole purpose of you coming together is that two are better than one, not so that they can please each other, but so that they could go out and actually make God's name and his fame great. And one of the best ways that you can do that is that it's just through your love for one another, dying to self on a regular basis, but it's also asking the question, who's around us that needs God's love? Who's around us that needs to be impacted by him? Because here's what it says in John 17, 23, uh, when Jesus is praying over the disciples, that the disciples will be one. I think this can apply to a marriage as well. What's the reason for the disciples to be one? So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God designed our marriages to be a living picture of what the gospel looked like to everybody that's around us. Yeah. And so if you think about all the things in our world that needs fixing, I mean, all the things that can make our world better, better education, a better health care system, a better governor. Oh, I almost said governor. Sorry. Um, government. <laughs> I really didn't mean to say that. Yeah. Government. <laughs> a, a better government. Um, that, those are all amazing things. But the best gift that we can give this world is right here in our marriage. One of the best gifts besides God's salvation, of course. But as we show that love to each other, and that's a picture to a watching world. It's a picture, again, our, if you have children or if you have an impact on children, which hopefully all of us do in some way, whether that's the, your, your kids that you have or your nieces, nephews, cousins, whoever, kids in your neighborhood, kids at your church, as they're watching, those are, your first, those are the disciples that see you the, the, the most and the clearest. So those kids and those uh, children can see that. But then beyond that, it's their friends and your neighborhood and where you work and where you work out and the places that you tread on this earth. If this is a commitment to each other that's working well, that you are both dying to self and you know your why, our why just isn't about us and making us, me happy, that just opens up an amazing tool yeah. for God to use to bring glory to himself in this world. Yeah. So as we think about that and we close up, um, I hope tonight really is, an, is a refreshment. I hope this weekend is going to be a refreshment. Just for us to reconnect with why did God bring us together? Why did he bring two very different people to come together as one? So that we might learn to love another person like Jesus loves us. And so that we might actually make an impact on the world around us. And so I hope that as you, maybe you come in here and you go, which one of those things, which one of those three things do we, <clears throat> do we need to reflect on? Do we need to remember again that God brought us together all those years back, however many years ago it was? Think about all the things that had to happen for you two to come together. Just to walk down memory lane could be a refreshment. Just to remind each other of why you, why you came and, and were in love to begin with. But then to appreciate each other's differences. And then thirdly, what's the difference we're looking to make in the world around us? What can we do? Who can we impact? Who needs to hear this message uh, that we just heard tonight and to share it with somebody? Maybe that's just a conversation point that you could have this weekend. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much uh, for who you are. Thank you for um, giving us a why, that you didn't just uh, create marriage and leave it to us to figure it out for ourselves. Lord, that you have told us many different ways of how to make this thing work, and not just work, but to work well, to make an impact to those around us, Lord. Thank you for the couples that have come, Lord. I know that uh, for many, it might even been a, a pretty tiring day just to be able to be here in this moment, to listen attentively, Lord. I, I pray that more than anything, your spirit is what spoke to them. Our words can't change anybody's heart. 
Only you can change a heart. And so, Lord, I pray that whether it's to continue to bring hearts together that are already close, just to even remind them of the joy that they have and to be grateful for it. Or if it's to thaw some maybe some ice that's, that's been forming between a couple, some coldness that's there. That this weekend would be the weekend where, where they get refreshed or they find new hope. And Lord, that you might start doing another miracle in their life. God, we ask that from the miracle maker. In your name, amen.